0: Now, I want to share with you a message that I've titled, When the Word Takes Root. We'll be in Luke chapter 8, so if you have your Bibles with you, find your way to Luke chapter 8. You can tap or scroll or flip or whatever that looks like for you, but Luke chapter 8 is where we'll be joining in here in a few moments. I just want to ask a little question as we get started here today. And that is, do you know what I mean... When I talk about how some folks have selective hearing. Yeah, there's a little little bit of a rumble, right? That's a phrase we use to describe, and probably a phrase you're nudging somebody sitting close to you about. To describe people who hear in words that are spoken to them, but, but they ultimately do not entrust themselves to those words. They, they, do, not, they do not take time to examine those words. And this is not a physical malady. We're talking about someone who will hear what they want to hear as opposed to hearing what the person who's communicating with them is trying to communicate. This is not a physical malady. I heard about an elderly gentleman who'd struggled with serious hearing problems for many years in his life. And for years, he couldn't hear the regular conversation of his family members as they would gather around in their home. But one day, he went to the hearing doctor... And the doctor had him fitted for this set of hearing aids that drastically improved his hearing. Well, about a month later, this man came back into the doctor's office for a checkup. And as the doctor checked him, he said, Ultimately, the best I can tell is that your hearing is completely restored with the help of these hearing aids. He said, I'll bet your family must be really happy now that you can hear them again. Well, this old man, he paused for just a moment and he said... Well, I, I haven't told my family about the improvements yet. <laughs> they said, I've just been sitting around and listening to their conversations. And I'll have you know, I've changed my will three times in this past month. <laughs> but that's not selective hearing. That, that's a hearing malady. Selective hearing is not a hearing malady. Something that's wrong with our actual composition of our bodies. No, selective hearing is a choice to only hear certain things. And physically, those who exercise selective hearing can hear all of the words that are being spoken to them, but mentally, they check out of some of the parts of the conversation. Their ears can hear, but they choose not to engage what they hear with their minds. And selective hearing reminds me of a family that I read about recently. In this family, there was a woman who was concerned about her 60-year-old dad's hearing loss. So she talked to her mom about it. And her mom said, well, I'm not really all that concerned about him. Because things really haven't changed that much. The only difference is, before he would not listen, now he simply cannot listen. Either way, he's still not listening. And that's a man who was known for his propensity for selective hearing. And so the question is, do you know anyone who exercises selective hearing? Yeah, I see some nods. I see a few nods out there. Now, I must confess on my behalf, and really on the behalf of of my kind, that we guys tend to be the ones who are guilty of exercising this practice of selective hearing. But in our defense, the proportion of words that we are expected to hear is often much higher, all right? Because women tend to use a lot more words than we men do. I I mean, my wife gets on the phone, and she can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. I get on the phone for five minutes, and I'm looking for the fire alarm that I can pull to get off of that conversation. Because we men just tend to not like to use as many words. And there are times when, as we're sharing conversation with friends, my wife and I, when when amy will spell out really some episode that we're going through say say for example we've had a bad experience at a restaurant so she'll tell someone about that bad experience and as she's telling she'll tell the circumstances of the day what we were wearing what the atmosphere of the restaurant was like what we ordered how long it took to prepare and what we did while we waited Some of the cute things that the kids did in in the process of our waiting time and so on and so forth. And then she'll get done and she'll say, and and I will say, I'll, I'll step into the conversation at that point and say, okay, now let me give you the guy version of that story. And the guy version is, we had a bad experience at a restaurant. All right? I mean, that's sufficient for most of us guys. And you gals oftentimes just use a lot more words than we guys do and and we guys can hear those words but that doesn't mean that we're engaging with those words in our minds and I'm not saying that's a good thing guys I'm not giving you an excuse to say go into likewise all right this is in fact something that's a bad thing something that I personally need to improve and probably something that many of you guys and girls alike could use a little improvement on yourselves but regardless of the goodness of it i think we could all acknowledge that selective hearing is something that is common in the relationships we share with other individuals and as we find in luke chapter 8 today selective hearing is something that we may even exercise in our relationship with the almighty god you see god gives to us his word he has revealed to us his word And I am a man who still believes that God has given us the word of God. And I will stand on the truth of his word. And when you gather here, you are not gathering to hear a bunch of funny, wise sayings from Jeremy. We are ultimately gathered to hear what does the Lord say. Because he has granted to us his word. And we should praise him for the fact that he's given us his word. He offers to us the good news of his kingdom. He calls for us to receive his forgiveness and bear fruit for his glory. And many people, including a number of you, have heard these things many times before in your lives. But the way you respond to the word of God is on display in the way that you live your life. And for so many of us, the way we live our lives gives evidence that we are selectively hearing the word of God. Now, no wife is well pleased when her husband selects the things that he's going to listen to out of what she says. And likewise, my friends, you can be sure that the God of heaven is not well pleased when you selectively hear His word for you. And so today, our journey takes us as we're going through the Gospel of Luke, into Luke chapter 8. And first we're going to see the summary of Jesus' preaching ministry, and then we see a group of those who are going along with him to support him in this ministry as he moves preaching the Word of God from city to city. And then Jesus launches into this important message for us, this message that we need to hear, because it's a message on how we ought to hear The Word of God. And so let's read these words together. And I invite you now to stand if you're able so that we might honor the reading of God's Word in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Here's where we read Soon afterwards, he, that is Jesus, began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to the support out of their private means. When a large crowd was coming together, and those from various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell beside the road. And it was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil. And as soon as it grew up, it withered away. Because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up. And produced a crop a hundred times as great. And, he, and he, as he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, And hearing, they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. So that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while. And in the time of temptation, fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life. And bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed on the good soil. These are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. And hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. This is the end of God's Word. Please be seated. And at the outset of Luke chapter 8, we encounter Jesus in His preaching ministry. Verse 1 says that He began to go around from city to city, one city and village to another. He's still in that northern area of Israel known as Galilee, the place that He has been for the majority of the time that we've been in the, the Gospel of Luke. He's still carrying out His... Galilean ministry and Luke makes it clear that while Jesus and and what Jesus is doing in these cities and villages of Galilee is that he is preaching the gospel he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God that's what we find in verse 1 he's proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God now that word that's translated proclaiming is a word which ultimately means to proclaim as a herald In in the days of Jesus, there were not newspapers, there were not websites, there were not social media platforms that you could use to get the news out when the king wanted to announce something to his subjects. So, what a king would do is he would hire a herald to come and do this work for him. He would commission the herald with a message from the king, and the herald would then go into the various cities and he would shout out the message as an authorized representative from the king. And that's what Jesus is doing, is he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's announcing as a herald on behalf of the king of kings and lord of lords that this is a kingdom you need to know about. But, but not only is he proclaiming, we also see this word that he is preaching the word of God. That word translated preaching is the Greek word eunangelizo. It's the word we get our word evangelism from or to evangelize. It's it's a it's a word which communicates sharing good tidings, sharing good news. So Jesus in this moment is speaking about the kingdom of God and as he does so, he is proclaiming it as a herald and the message that the herald is proclaiming is a good message that people need to hear. So Jesus is proclaiming and sharing good news about the kingdom of God. He's sharing the good news of God's kingdom. He's preaching the word of God. And that message includes the truth that God has begun his efforts to install a king who will forever forgive their sins and rule with righteousness and justice over this eternal kingdom where there will be no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain. This is the consistent message of the Bible. And Jesus is saying that God is acting on his plan in these moments. And so as God's choice messenger, he's proclaiming good news from God about the sort of kingdom that we all ultimately long for. And as Jesus is preaching, there are all sorts of individuals who are accompanying him in his ministry. Luke records at the end of verse 1 that the 12 were with him. That's the 12 disciples who would also become the 12 apostles. These are the 12 individuals that he is pouring his life into in preparation for his ascension. These are the ones who will carry his ministry on in his absence. And at this point, they have been found in that they are gathering together with him. They are in the process of being formed. It's a process that never really stops. But they've, they've come to a commitment point where they have said, we will follow Jesus. We have examples of Matthew, for example, who left everything. His tax booth, he left his occupation, he left all of that behind so that he could follow Jesus. Likewise, we have the fishermen who did the same thing that we've looked at in the Gospel of Luke. They've been found, they've been formed, they've been fired, and now they're in the process of being filled. They are accompanying Jesus on his work. They are learning about the ministry that he is calling them to do once he will now leave the scene upon his own death and resurrection and his ascension and so jesus is preparing his disciples for the same sort of work that he is doing they will become the ones who are proclaiming this message of the kingdom they will become the ones who are preaching good tidings of good news And these are ultimately the individuals who are gathered together with Jesus who are those who have been firmly grounded in his word. And that word has made a difference. But it's interesting here that not only are the twelve with him, Luke also records in verse 2 that there were also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. These are women who've been transformed by Jesus. Jesus. And we have on display here several individuals who, sh- who show their, by their lives that the word has taken root in them, in their hearts. And they're showing that by the way they serve him and the way they support this ministry. Now, in the society where Jesus lived, the customs of rabbinic Judaism were pretty harsh on women. Now, let me just clarify that that's not by God's design. In the Old Testament, we find that women participated in every aspect of community life except the priesthood of the temple. We see women engaging in the Old Testament in commerce and real estate as well as engaging in manual labor. They were not excluded from temple worship. They played music in the sanctuary and they prayed there. And women were held in high regard in the Old Testament. But by the time of Jesus the role of women had drastically changed because the people of Jesus' day taught that a woman's life should primarily be lived in private with her family. So, for example, women were not allowed to testify in court. They were not seen as trustworthy witnesses. They could not engage in commerce and they would rarely be seen outside of the home unless they were in dire economic straits and functioning essentially as the breadwinner of their homes. Now, if a woman was ever found in the streets, she would be heavily veiled. And she had this prohibition as she went out into public that she was not allowed to talk to men. And so apart from visiting relatives or attending weddings or gathering at houses to mourn the loss of loved ones or attending a synagogue, women were expected in Jesus' day to stay at home. They certainly would not have been found in the presence of a Jewish rabbi. At least not any respectable sort of rabbi as the culture went in Jesus' day. But that wasn't the case with Jesus. He lifted the status of women in his ministry. He spoke directly with the woman at the well in John chapter 4 to the shock of his disciples. He welcomed women into the company of his disciples as we see here in Luke chapter 3. Last week it was a woman that we saw in Luke chapter 7 who washed and anointed his feet as this exemplary illustration of love that Jesus points out to the Pharisee who is hosting him. And the women who followed Jesus were those who stayed by his side at the cross until the end, even when all of his disciples had abandoned him. And these women were the same ones who were the first ones to see him upon his resurrection and the first ones to proclaim the good news that he had risen my friends Jesus greatly elevated the status of women and as we've seen time and time again in Luke Jesus welcomes the outcasts Jesus sees value in those that nobody else sees value in and then Jesus employs those individuals in his kingdom work that's what these women were doing as those Who were suppressed and distressed. They had encountered the gospel for the rejected. That's the title we've given to this gospel of Luke. Because Luke constantly draws our attention to this theme. And they found value that they had never experienced before. Because Jesus, my friends, values every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. Jesus has great value in you. He sees what you can become, and he loves you and has given himself for you. And these women who are following Jesus in Luke 8, they include the poor and the wealthy. One of them had had seven demons driven out of her. We can only imagine the sort of activity she must have been engaged in to be inhabited by tw- seven different demons all at one time. And then on the other end of the coin, there's this other woman who's husband is a high-ranking official in the king's court her husband was the steward of the king and so you got individuals in all sorts of economic situations you got individuals who are conflicting in their persuasions about how politics ought to be carried out there is simon who is a zealot the zealots hated tax collectors they tried to execute tax collectors because they were taking money from the jewish people and giving it to those who were not of their own country and then you've got jesus calling matthew to follow him who is a tax collector i mean can you imagine the friction that exists in this group as individuals from all sorts of walks of life all sorts of political backgrounds all sorts of of backgrounds of economic status come together in this one body. And my friends, there is such rich vibrancy in the church of God. And we praise Him for that. That there is a home for all of those who are hungry here. That there is a life extended to all of those. No matter what your persuasion, no matter what your background, no matter what your circumstances, Christ has come for you. We praise Him for that. And these women... And the others who are mentioned here in verse 3 are contributing to the support of Jesus and his disciples through their private means. Now that's a biblical model when it comes to supporting God's ministry. That's why we long to engage every member in some sort of ministry. And that's why we pass the offering plate each week. This church is not selling a product. This is not a factory that is selling something that makes us a profit. If we're going to carry on the work that God has called us to do, then we must rely, as Jesus and his disciples did, on the ministry of those who will contribute out of their private means to the support of the ministry. That's why God commands you and I to give. And friend, I just want to tell you, you'll never outgive God. But I hope you're not being selfish by enjoying the fruits of the Lord's work in this ministry while not at the same time giving of your own first fruits as the Lord has called us to do. Because God commands us to give and your giving enables us to pursue His work. That's the example we see clearly on display here in Luke chapter 3. or Luke chapter 8 verse 3. Now, as Jesus is preaching, and the disciples are supporting him here in Luke chapter 8, we read in verse 4 that a large crowd was coming together. And they were coming from various cities. They were journeying to hear Jesus preach. And Luke doesn't mention this, but there are parallel accounts of this passage in Matthew chapter 13, and then in Mark chapter 4, where both of those authors mention that the crowd was so great around Jesus that he couldn't even eat. And so Jesus steps onto a boat, and he goes out off of the shore, and he preaches the message that we hear in this passage today, ultimately from a boat that is out in the Sea of Galilee. And as he's preaching, we see some wonderful truths on display. You've heard of the Sermon on the Mount. This is ultimately what we might call the Sermon on the Sea. And many people are gathering around. The Word of God is being proclaimed. But the question is are they listening? Are they truly hearing the Word of God that is being preached? Or are they selectively hearing the Word of God? And that's what Jesus draws the attention of the crowd to. He wants them to consider whether they are really taking His Word to heart or if it's just passing through their ears. And so we read at the end of verse 4 that Jesus spoke to the crowds by way of a parable. Now, a parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus takes things that are practical, everyday situations that everyone would know about, and he hangs on that framework, eternal truths. And as you should understand from this passage today, Jesus spoke parables for two different reasons. One of those was that he might reveal, and the other was that he might conceal God's truth. Parables are an instrument by which Jesus revealed God's truth and concealed God's truth. You say, well, that sounds like a little bit of a contradiction. Let me explain it a little bit. What Jesus says in verses 9 and 10 of Luke 8 is ultimately that after he's given this this parable to the crowds, his disciples come to him. They want to know what the parable means. In verse 10, he says, to you... It has been granted to know the mysteries of God's kingdom. Now a mystery in the Bible is simply a truth of God that God has to reveal before individuals will understand it. And so there's a process of revealing through the teaching of the parables. Jesus in this parable is revealing some of the mysteries of God's plans to those who follow him. But verse 10 goes on as Jesus says, But to the rest... It is in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. You see, for some individuals, parables will drive home God's truth. For others, the parables cloak God's truth in a way that prevents them from seeing or understanding what God is saying. We see this even clearer in Matthew's account of this encounter in Matthew chapter 13. Because Matthew includes the detail that Jesus also said to his disciples here in this moment. Whoever has, to him much shall be given, and he will have in an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Have you ever heard the saying, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer? We talk about that in the sense of those who have a lot of money to invest, those who have opportunities to, to get rich, have a lot more opportunity and see a lot more success in that endeavor than those who do not but that my friends that principle is true not only in economics it's also true in the spiritual realm jesus selected a variety of people from a variety of backgrounds and he revealed truth to those people because he saw something in them that was necessary in particular those people had a hunger to know and a willingness to obey and when God sees a person who has a hunger to know and a willingness to obey, he gives more to the one who already has. But there's a parallel truth. Those who are unwilling to listen to what God has to say will have the truth that they have heard taken away from them. That's a scary thought. And we can understand why God would act this way, can we not? I mean, suppose you had, for example, $100,000 of your own personal cash, all right? I know that's a big suppose for most of us, right? Suppose you got $100,000 of your own cash to invest in whatever way you want to. And so you invest in two companies, all right? Company A gets $50,000. Company B gets $50,000. Well, you come back six months later, and you come to find out that, that company A has doubled your profits, You now have $200,000 because company A has been successful and has been stewarding your money well. Just a gradual increase over that time has doubled your money in six months. But company B, on the other hand, has cut your money in half. So over a gradual time for those six months, your $50,000 has now become $25,000. Now what are you going to do in that instance? Most of us are going to take from he who has little and give it to he who has much. Are we not? You'd say, whoever has to him, more shall be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. I mean, we would act in that way if we saw a failing investment that we had invested our funds into that was not making a profit. And my friends, I just want to draw this spiritual parallel. Our Lord is going to invest. And he's going to invest his life and his truth in those who will multiply his glory on the earth and that my friends must be our chief objective what sort of gain is his investment producing in you are you taking the word that he's revealed to you are you multiplying his glory through it or are you wasting his investment in your own personal pursuits And that's what we're called to consider as we look specifically into the parable that Jesus presents to us today. This is a parable that we tend to refer to as the parable of the sower. Because in this parable we see one who goes out to sow seeds. He is a sower and he casts the seed into the field with the intention of growing a great crop. But ultimately I think if we were going to draw out the emphasis that Jesus draws out in this parable, we would call this the parable of the soils. Because that is the thing that changes. That is the thing that Jesus draws our attention to. The sower remains the same, the seed that he is sowing remains the same. The thing that changes is the types of soil that this sower throws his seed onto. And so ultimately, Jesus shows us what the seed is. That's so apparent to us in verse 11. Because Jesus says explicitly the seed is the word of God. The sower then is whoever is distributing the word of God. Now in the immediate context, as we saw back in verse 1, that's Jesus, right? He's preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. But Jesus is also, as I mentioned earlier, preparing his disciples to take on this ministry. So one day they will take the seed themselves and they will proclaim the truth. And so there are aspects that we need to look at on both sides of that coin both as a soil in how we presently are receiving his word, but also in a very practical way, how when we are distributing his word to others, what kinds of responses might we expect? And so we're going to put our focus specifically on the soil and the reception and how we hear and how we receive the word because ultimately that's where Jesus provides his primary emphasis In fact, the word translated here is found seven times in this passage. It's the Greek word akao, which is a a similar word to our English word acoustics, right? We talk about something being acoustic, something auditory. Jesus is concerned with how we hear the word of God. And so he drives home the emphasis of this parable in verse 8. And here's where ultimately, as Jesus preaches to the people, this is the take-home line. This is what you need to capture from this. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, as I look across the room today, I think most of us have ears, right? I think there's a, there's a pretty good percentage of us who have ears to hear. The question, though, that Jesus draws our attention to is, are you hearing? As God's word goes forth, are you letting it into your heart and giving it out and living it out in your heart? life are you selectively hearing his word that would be the alternative and as the word goes forth jesus calls us to consider how we respond to the word through this parable and what god is telling us through this passage today is this when the word takes root the word of god bears fruit and the word of God will take root in your heart if you hear it and believe it and hold it fast. So with the remainder of our time, I want to I briefly show you from this great parable, how to honor God's intentions as you hear his word. The first way is this. Clear your ears of stubborn hearing by believing the word. Look at the first soil of this parable. We read about it in verse 5. The sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some seed fell beside the road. It was trampled under the, underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. What Jesus is speaking of, and he talks about this road, is the pathway that would run through fields. It's the pathway that individuals would take as they traveled across town. And as someone scattering seed, just planning on growing a crop, some of that seed is indiscriminately just going to find its way onto that path. And when something falls on a hard surface like that, It doesn't have much chance for success. People walk by, they trample it down. The birds, I mean, we know animals that love seeds, right? Birds are going to come after those seeds. And that's what happens here in this passage. The birds come in and they take away the life of the seed. Because ultimately, that seed has not taken root Jesus explains how that applies to those who selectively hear the word of God. He applies that in verses 11 and 12. There he says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road, the ones that he talked about earlier, are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. There's no question that these are unbelievers in the case of what Jesus is talking about here. Satan has come and taken away the opportunity for them to respond to the word. And there were people who were following Jesus who had some hard hearts. In fact, Matthew and Mark both explained that before this passage, we have Jesus talking about the unpardonable sin. That is the sin that is, that is against the Holy Spirit. And and in this unpardonable sin, we've got the context that these Pharisees and scribes are gathering together in this time, and they are saying that Jesus does what Jesus does because Jesus is ultimately empowered by Satan. You see, they've hardened their hearts against the truth that God would reveal through Jesus. They predispose themselves such that their hearts are so hard, there is nothing that Jesus could say that's going to make a difference for them in their unbelief, in their desire to build up their own kingdoms. They found themselves with a hardened heart that will not allow the Word of God to take root in them. They had hearts that had no vacancy. They had hearts that would not give the Holy Spirit a place. And there are many men and women like that who have no room for God's Word to take root. They are stubborn in their hearing. They are opposed to any message about Jesus long before anyone even speaks it. They're like those Pharisees who wouldn't even give consideration to God's word. Their hearing was stubborn. And so the truth that they have received is taken away, as we talked about earlier. In fact, Jesus says it's the devil who comes and takes the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. I heard about a college professor who asked his students with arrogance in his voice one day, How many of you in this class believe the Bible is the Word of God? And he asked that question with such a sneer on his face that no one would dare to raise their hand except for one young Christian man there in the class who knew that he had to be true to his Lord and Savior. And so he lifted his hand and he confessed that he believed the Bible was the Word of God and that he loved the Lord Jesus with all of his heart as his personal Savior. And that professor then began to ridicule this young man. He began to cut him down. He ridiculed the Bible. He ridiculed Christianity. He ridiculed all of it as superstition that was out of date and so on and so forth. And then the professor concluded what he was saying by saying, Young man, I want you to know that the Bible is a bundle of blunders and a book of nonsense. I have read it and it makes no sense to me. And that young man, with wisdom in his heart, said to that professor, Sir, the Bible is God's love letter to his children. If you've read it and it doesn't make any sense to you, it's because you've been reading someone else's mail. And friends, I just want to tell you, if you reject God's word, your heart will be hardened and his truth will be taken away from you. If you do anything long enough, you can get good at it. And if you reject the gospel long enough, you can become a professional gospel rejecter. You can, your hearing can become stubborn. Your heart can get hard. And so, friend, I say to you, don't let your heart get predisposed against the word of God. Don't let your ears be stubborn. Clear your ears of stubborn hearing. Consider God's representative who has come to reveal his truth to you. Believe the word. Because the first way to honor God's intentions... As you hear his word is to clear your ears of stubborn hearing by believing his word. The second way to honor God's intentions as you hear his word is this. Clear your ears of shallow hearing by holding the word fast. The second soil that Jesus calls our attention to in this parable comes in verse 6. That's where Jesus says other seed fell on rocky soil and as soon as it grew up it withered away because it had no moisture now in the farming times of israel there was this rich presence of limestone and a lot of that limestone would be out in the fields where individuals were trying to grow their crops but it was hidden it was under a layer of topsoil there would be a thin layer of some sort that would cover the seed so as you threw the seed out you didn't know what was there and that seed then would take the topsoil and would spring up to life in the form of a plant But when the sun would come out, what does the sun do? Well, it takes away moisture. It dries things out, right? If a plant's going to survive, it's got to have a resource of moisture to draw from. And this seed would have no room for that. This plant would have no room for gaining extra moisture because it didn't have any extra dirt around it. It was pinned up against the rock. And so this plant would wither away. That's what Jesus draws our attention to here. And then Jesus ties that to those who have selective hearing when it comes to God's word in verse 13. That's where he said those on the rocky soil are those who when they hear receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in a time of temptation fall away. Their hearing was shallow and so it didn't take much to quench their life for Jesus. Now, if you're reading this passage, you might have a question, the kind of question that I had this week. You know, are these individuals saved? Are individuals who Jesus speaks about specifically hearing the word and believing for a time but falling away, are they saved? Well, ultimately, Jesus doesn't reveal that to us, and that's not the emphasis of this parable. In this case and in the case that we see next of the one that is choked by the thorns, Jesus doesn't specifically tell us. And ultimately, we cannot know. Now ultimately what we do see is that Jesus draws this out as a bad example of a way for a seed to grow. Or a way for a soil to receive the seed. So Jesus is not drawing out an emphasis for us that says ultimately this is the way you should live. And only God knows those who truly believe. But many a church knows how common it is to have those who come to church. Who make a decision that's based on emotions that sets them on fire. For a few weeks. And then all of a sudden you stop seeing them anymore. They fall into a time of temptation. They fall away. And we can't know for sure whether those individuals were truly saved. Only God knows that. But this passage makes one thing clear. That is not God's desire for you. His desire is for you to hear the word and to hold it fast. No farmer wants a crop that withers away. And the issue is not the temptation in this passage. It's not that these individuals somehow received a temptation that nobody else did. We all face temptations in our lives. The question is, are you going to keep drawing from the moisture that God provides us through good soil? Are you going to keep leaning on his word? Because, my friends, I know many of you are going through trials in your life right now many of you are facing temptations that you've never faced before some of you are looking at christianity and you're saying i never expected that when i came to christ i would be facing things like this but i want to tell you my friends his word is as good for you in this moment as it was in the time you came to him and his promises for you are just as true in this moment as they were then because ultimately god will cause his word to come to pass and so the second way to honor God's intentions as you hear his word is to clear your ears of shallow hearing by holding the word fast. The third and final way is this clear your ears of stifled hearing. Persevere in bearing good fruit. The third soil that, that shows us this selective hearing sort of response to receiving God's word is what Jesus presents for us in verse 7. That's where he says, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Now, if you've ever walked around the edges of a field, you probably found some thorns growing there, right? And those thorns get wrapped up with a healthy plant, and when they do, they take away that plant's resources. They twist that plant out of shape. They stifle that plant's growth. They take away its roots. They choke it out. They eat up its nutrients. And Jesus ties this to those who selectively hear God's word in verse 14. That's where he says, the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life. And so what's the result when they are choked? And bring no fruit to maturity. And clearly here, the wrong way to hear God's word is to let the weeds of worries and the riches and pleasures choke out your faith. Ultimately, that, what's on display in these verses is a faith that is a faith without repentance. We're talking about individuals who are heading in their own direction. And they encounter Jesus and they say, you know what, this sounds great. Let me add this to where I was already going. Let me add this to what I was already doing. Let me just take Jesus and pile Him on top of my own worries. Let me pile Him on top of my own riches that I am pursuing, my own passions, my own pleasures. They will not turn away from their selfishness. And those things which they will not turn away from stifle their hearing of God's Word. Back in February, portraits of former President Barack Obama and his wife Michelle were unveiled for the National Portrait Gallery in Washington, D.C. At the ceremony, the the former president joked about his appeals for this artist, whose name was Kayende Wiley, to paint him with smaller ears and less gray hair. And Mr. Obama said of his, his conversations with Wiley, he listened to me very thoughtfully to what I had to say before doing what he always intended to do. And that's what a lot of individuals do who say that they are Christians. That's the way a lot of us live. We listen thoughtfully, but then we go along and we do what we always intended to do. And so, friend, I just want to ask you, are you holding on to a life of worry? Are you holding on to a life which is passionately pursuing anything else as though it is superior to or equal to what you have in the Word of God? then you my friend are not producing a fruit that honors him you have a stifled hearing, and this does not honor the lord so we've seen the way to honor god's intentions as we hear his word and and we do that by clearing our ears of stubborn hearing shallow hearing and stifled hearing this is a call from jesus to hear his word to believe his word to hold fast to his word and to persevere in bearing good fruit in response to his word because my friends when the word of God takes root the word of God bears fruit and the word of God will take root in your heart when you hear it and believe it and ultimately hold it fast That's what's happening in the fourth type of soil, the soil that Jesus eventually draws us to as the only good soil, the only good way to receive the seed that is sown. We read about that soil in verse 8, other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. Now that's a pretty fruitful crop. A good crop in Israel would produce a crop seven to ten times as great as what was planted. But Jesus shows this magnificent return on the sower seed. It's a hundred times what the sower sowed. Because, my friends, the Word of God does amazing things. And ultimately, God's Word is shown to us here to be a seed. What an what a important, important analogy for God's Word. God's Word is a seed seed. A seed contains life, my friends. A seed contains the opportunity for something much greater. And that's what we find in the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active, we find, in the Word. It is is a living resource for each and every one of us. The Word produces for us great life, eternal life. And Jesus ties this final soil, this good soil, together with the expectations that match everything we've seen in this passage so far. So in verse 15, we read, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. This is how you honor God's intentions as you hear his word. And so the question for each of you is, are you really listening to the word of God? Are you holding that word fast? Well, my friends, there is a hope for each and every one of us in this passage because ultimately what we find is that even though the devil comes and takes away from some, even though the flesh and the trials that some individuals face cause some to fall away, even though there would be thorns and worries and and Pursuits and passions that would come and choke away the fruit of some. God's word ultimately prevails and his kingdom grows on. His kingdom presses on. His glory multiplies in that there is a yield ultimately of that good soil that is a hundred times what was sown. And my friend, God's word will come to pass. There is a true kingdom that is coming to pass are you on board with that kingdom have you truly heard the word have you truly believed are you persevering in bearing fruit then my friends you can have the joy of knowing that there is life in this one would you pray with me father we thank you for this parable and the challenges that it brings to us Because, Lord, I know myself, and I'm sure there are many others here, who practice a good bit of selective hearing when it comes to your word. And Father, we, we are ultimately hindering ourselves of your best as we cling to our own unbelief, as we cling to our temptations, as we cling to the trials and the prosperities which we pursue as things which are greater than your word o oh lord we are depriving ourselves so father help us to know how we can wisely receive the seed of your word how we can wisely leave all that other mess behind and find true life life that multiplies fruits for your glory life that enjoys the pleasures of being in the center of your will Lord if there are any who are here on this day who are not enjoying the provision of that life then I pray O oh God that your word would take root in their lives because when your word takes root it produces much fruit Father, I thank you for the fruit that I have experienced in knowing Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And Lord, I long for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl to know the same truth. But Lord, you know those who harden their hearts against you. You know those who are here who have time and time rejected this gospel plea. And only you, O Lord, can make the difference. So I pray that you, by the power of your Spirit, would draw unto you those who have not come to the point where it's too late, that they might cling to the seed which produces eternal life. We rejoice in your provisions toward this end, and pray for your courage in the moments in which we share together now through this invitation. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.